Welcome to Opt In with April Jasper. Relevant conversations about topics important to eye care providers today. Before neural lenses, I always had eye strain, eye dryness, eye fatigue, moderate to severe headaches. I had to take prescription medication. It was to the point where I guess they'd want me to sit down and color or read them books, and I couldn't. I couldn't do nothing. When I got my neural lenses, my headache went away. I wasn't taking Tylenol anymore. Can't explain it, but it worked. I would pay double for my neural lenses because I can't go a day without them. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. You know, it's a crazy summer, Marianne, here in Florida. And uh, for those of the listeners that know this, not everybody does. I don't have a great love for iguanas. And in Florida, we seem to have an issue with them. If you come to vacation, you'll see if you go south, really south of Orlando, that's when they start to be an issue. But what's funny about them is that my kids know that I don't like them. And yet Aiden decided it was appropriate to show me a Facebook post that somebody had uh, posted from Fort Lauderdale. Maybe you saw it, Marianne. (laughs) And this post was a woman that went in to hit the restroom. And when she went in, there was a... Honestly, the, the body of this thing was, it looked like at least 18 inches, this iguana, the tail was another 18 inches in her toilet, all wrapped around. So she closed the door and waited until the next day, called someone to come get it. And of course her post shows it in the toilet, shows the guy standing outside holding it. And then he goes on to tell everybody that there seems to be an infiltration of iguanas in the sewer system. So you can imagine that I am not okay right now. <laughs> But uh, that's that's the kind of summer we're having. So what's it like in Colorado? (laughs) Well, first of all, Colorado is experiencing a crazy heat wave. So what that does mean for us on the positive side is there's no mosquitoes and there's no bugs and we get a nice cool breeze in the afternoon. So that's the best part here. But I want to say something. If if we're going to talk about the news for a second, can we go back like a day or two? and just acknowledge your recognition as one of Newsweek's America's best optometrists. That's, I mean, you should really be proud of that, April. That's a huge um, undertaking. It's a lot of work that's come from a lifetime, a career. Um, You know, it's not something you did yesterday or something you did last week. This is 20 years in the making. So um, really should kind of like take a bow for that. That's pretty impressive if we're going to talk news. Wow. You are so, so kind, Marianne. And I, you know, it, it is humbling. I love being able to see the list and kind of see what we're all doing. And I'm very proud of all of us on there, but it kind of takes me back to when you and I first met. So we've been friends for a very long time and friends because we kind of had to deal with some of the same challenges in life at the same time. Yeah. But I remember being in study groups with you and kind of walking through where we were in our practice, where we were in our life. And so I have admired you and really uh, looked up to you for all these years. And I was so excited that you agreed to be on our podcast because I I just want to bring people information. You've got lots of good information that, and I'm going to introduce you a little better in just a second, but also just what you are is I think what I am, or I hope I am. And that is just real and authentic and want people to know the problems, the good, the bad, and the ugly and learn from my mistakes. So thank you for being here. (laughs) Definitely that last part. I hope someone can learn from the mistakes. (laughs) Yeah. 
So yeah. for, for those of you who don't know Marianne, uh, Dr. Marianne Murphy, not only is my friend, but she is an amazing optometrist in Colorado. She has a practice with five optometrists and two ophthalmologists, the last I heard, and has, uh, you'll tell us a little bit more about that in a minute, Marianne, but she's also on the board of VSP and she'll tell you a little bit about how that's been. And so I think that what Marianne is bringing to us today is kind of knowledge about how to succeed in practice, but also to help, I wanted her to help all of you that are listening to understand more about what it's like on her side of uh, being a part of vision plans and, and how they can be uh, beneficial to us. So we're going to jump into a lot of different areas today, but Marianne, as we get started, yeah. tell us a little bit more about you more, a little more detail than maybe what I have already said. Yeah, I think, um, you know, if I was introducing myself, and I think April, you might have agreed with this, you know, 20 years ago, I definitely would have start with, you know, where I went to school, what my accomplishments were, you know, what awards I've won, all those kinds of things. But I think now, um, where we are in our lives, the things that I consider really important about me are that, um, you know, I've raised two teenagers, I've gotten this far, I've got one going off to college, I've got a, my daughter got her driver's license last week. Um, and I'm still standing. So that that is my biggest accomplishment in life. Um, I was able to do part of that as a single mother. And, you know, I'm just proud of the, the, the mom that I've been able to be to my kids. And some of that has come from the practice that I've created like you did with David, which was a place that I could foster being a mom and, and being a family person and having some flexibility around private practice, but then also creating an environment of people that I've been around in the industry where, you know, if you and I showed up to a meeting and either of us had our kids, it was like not even a blip in the conversation except to stop and talk to the kids and find out, you know, what they're doing, but it was just a very natural part of who we are. So, um, so I'm most proud of that accomplishment, having created a space for myself and for women. So like you mentioned, five um, optometrists, we all work essentially part-time, right? Three days, typically seeing patients, and then the other two days building the marketing, um, you know, clinical admin, patient flow, you know, enhancing our customer experience, working on um, developing our staff, but created this environment that um, our patients have come to foster too, you know, to say, well, you're going to see Dr. Murphy on Monday, but you know, on Friday, she's not here. So you're going to follow up with Dr. Perez and then being totally comfortable with, well, I'm good. I hope she's out fishing. And I hope Dr. Perez comes in off the soccer field. And I know you guys are going to take good notes. So, um, so that's the type of practice that I created. And I know that you and David have done the same thing in terms of just you know, if your kids are in there, they're part of the conversation and um, people come to the business to help support our role in the community. So, and then with that, um, like you talked about, customer experience, um, employee experience, really trying to be top notch and making sure that we're incorporating that holistic care, but also the technology component, because you can have all those things, but if aesthetically it doesn't look pretty, um, it's going to be tough to succeed. Colorado is a pretty high tech environment. You know, we are home to Lockheed, to Oracle, to Google offices. So, you, you know, you don't get to come in and have the orange shag carpet and, uh, and old projectors. <laughs> exactly. And you know what, you bring up good memories. I remember that uh, part of our history too, is the fact that we did do a lot of work with technology together. And we were the first to try a lot of different stuff. And, you know, I think kind of my days of being the first to try stuff is over. <laughs> I like, I like innovation, but I kind of like it to come to me ready to go now. But um, <laughs> as I look back, I honestly don't see that as one of the challenges I had in practice. There's others, but I want you to kind of walk through 
you mentioned the fact that, hey, we've we've raised kids in our practice, and you're right. My kids think of my state association, our state association, they think of it as their second family. Yeah. And, you know, it's just part of the life they've grown up in, and they love optometry, and they love patients. But we've had our own challenges. So what what have some of the what are some of the biggest challenges that you would say you've had in practice and how have you overcome them? Yeah, I think um, they're the same things that you hear when you talk to every, not just every provider, but when you talk to every industry consultant, right? You're not going to have a conversation that doesn't come up around staff. Um, and I think for me, you know, I used to think of it as just staff, but now I really think of it as just people, right? People. Yeah. People are my biggest challenge. People are also my largest asset and what I love about our practice, but, but people are tough and that people can be staff. Um, and I find sometimes, you know, aside from just, you know, Dr. Murphy, can I wear these green socks with the black scrubs? Is that, what, you know, those kinds of conversations where you're like, why am I thinking about this? But also, um, you know, there's the lack of predictability around people and, you know, someone's getting a divorce, someone's dog dies, someone's, and um, those are just challenging things that we have to deal with every day. But along the lines of that, the, the people problem is the patient problem, right? This patient's 20 minutes late, this patient's 20 minutes early. How do we manage that? This patient wants to wear a mask. This patient thinks masks are a joke. Um, it's it's the lack of predictability and just the people component. But you know, having said that, while it's undoubtedly my biggest challenge, I think you would agree. It's like the best assets of our practice is just not knowing what's going to walk in the door on any day. I know. I find um, it exciting. I'm with you. I think yeah. it's you know, you look at your last three days, and it's it's wild. I mean, Monday we had a little one come in. I mean, here we are. This is what we do. I had a, a four-year-old come in that was a two-doctor myope and needs glasses. And at the same time, a 96-year-old came in right after that who was blind in one eye from glaucoma because he hadn't had an eye exam in 20 years. So right. this right. is the day that we have, and we expect our staff to be able to manage that as well as we do. And I'm just so proud of them when they do, but at the same yeah. time, you're right. Um, the other, the other comments you get from them sometimes are just wild and off the wall and, <laughs> and you have to just kind of sit back and go, okay, where's this coming from? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's that it, to me also like the lack of predictability that I think you and I have come to appreciate and just expect, um, is still really challenging for them. And, you know, you've got young people that are in this profession. We love to hire um, staff that is kind of on their way to something bigger and better, right? People who are in school to be a physician's assistant or a nurse practitioner, or we've got several kind of pre-optometry students. So I'll take someone who's willing to work really hard, even if I know I'm only going to have them for a year versus someone who says, look, I'm looking for a job to stay here for 20 years. I probably won't be better day two than I was day one, nor better day 10 than I was. It, it's just, you know, right. I'll take a one-year employee any day, but, um, you know, that that lack of predictability for us has become a challenge, especially in this COVID environment where we're really still trying to control patient flow here in Colorado. And, you know, we, we, we had a, a brainstorming session with our staff a while back to say, you know, when you call in to schedule an appointment for your car, first of all, it's really difficult to ask how much it's going to cost because you don't know what the problem is. Someone's trying to describe the problem, making all kinds of, it's making this sound and that sound and it won't do this. And, you know, you kind of want to do that when you schedule an eye appointment. <laughs> 
Right. Like how bad are your eyes? Are you blind? How old are you? Can you see? Can you not see? But we don't do that, right? We just say, come on in and we'll figure it out. And, and we had a day very similar to you. We had a four diopter myop that was, she had been wearing glasses, but was ready to go into myopia control family with a lot of questions that takes a lot of time. And then turned around right after that, had a 50 year old man with an NAION acute onset. And we started going over the differentials, you know, syphilis comes up, things like that come up, other arteritis. And so wants to have a conversation about, you know, could this be a part of, you know, some of his extramarital activities? It's like, this is the conversation we're having in an exam room when outside, you know, I have a staff member going, I think I have to go put my dog down. Right. <laughs> just, and, and I don't know if there's really enough training, right. That gets around that is just part of chaos management that I think we take as a mom and we take as a parent and we take as a practice owner and we take as an industry, you know, someone who's involved in industry and it's just how you react to it. So it's fun. It's the most challenging, but the most fun. And you know what? I don't think I was the most chill at the beginning. (laughs) I I definitely felt it inside. It would, it would mess with me, but I realized quickly. And I think it's, that's the other powerful part of having friends that are not the same as me, but going through some of the same things that I'm going through. But I realized quickly that I needed to just step back. I mean, nobody's going to die tomorrow, hopefully. There have been times we've had situations that are life-threatening. But if I can just step back, slow down, and help my team to breathe and uh, help them. I mean, think of what, what a difference we can make in their lives. And that's why I think, like you said, I turned that challenge, just like you have, into what can I do for these people that are working for me right now? that may not be working for me forever to make a difference in their life for the better. And it makes me think differently about them and about the challenges that come to the table. All right. It's an important conversation to have. I love it. I know. All right. My next question, I'm excited about this one. So you kind of told me about challenges. Let's, let's get a, what's your favorite thing about practice ownership. And then I want to roll into uh, your role with VSP. Sure, sure. I think um, they kind of go together. And I think you would echo some of this. I know we've talked about it in the past. I've known, you know, early on in my career that I was just not going to be someone who could just be in an exam room all day. I, you know, whether it's a bit of ADHD or just, you know, always wondering, you know, the curiosity about what else is out there in the market. Um, What I love about practice ownership is the flexibility that it gives me, whether I'm coaching my son's soccer team or helping my daughter's tennis team or volunteering at church or whatever it is. I love that flexibility. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think having private practice has allowed me to have that flexibility and, um, you know, frankly, create it for the other women and the employees in my practice. Um, But that was, that was a part of what got me involved in industry things. And um, early on, like you mentioned, I think you and I both had challenges where I would sit down looking for kind of a peer-to-peer group and find myself in a variety of things, a group of 20-year-olds that were starting practices at the time that I was 30, which I felt like we don't have a lot in common, or a group of 70-year-olds who had, you know, multi-million dollar practices talking about what boat they're going to buy. And I'm like, I can bear, you know, I'm just hoping the phone rings. Um, and so it was seeking up industry opportunities to be with like-minded people, um, similar people, whether it was similar interests, similar geography, whatever it was. And so you know, for, for both you and I, at one point that led us to vision source, um, through vision source, I had the opportunity to get involved with optometry giving site, that charitable component of eye care. I love that so many of our industry partners have that. I know you're involved with that with the Academy. Obviously the American optometric association has their arm. Lux has their arm. BSP has their arm. So I loved being a part of 
that kind of ecosystem of optometry and it's been an important component of our practice here in Colorado. But through optometry giving sight had the opportunity to serve on several kind of you know what people would call mission trips or sustainability trips. Um, and then for me that was an opportunity to get to know some of the folks at BSP as they were supporting a lot of that work. Um, getting to know the folks in that organization worked with them like you mentioned through some of the consulting on the software development side, seeing how there was a real interest to actually make optometry better, right? Make optometry more efficient. What tools can we create? Um, and that for me was kind of a foray into working with them a little bit closer. So tell us what your position is now with VSP. And, and I think the other place I'd like to take it, if you would, is I don't know that everyone out there, I don't think that many optometrists understand how complex and how much work you do, how complex the process is, how much work you do to try to make certain that everything that's done is as it should be for patients and doctors. Yeah, I thanks you. Thank you for acknowledging that, April, because um, like a lot of things we do, right, that the hat you wear as a parent um, is different than the hat that you wear as a business owner and is different than you wear, you know, as a friend and is different than you wear as a wife. And, and sometimes juggling all those hats can be really challenging. And like you mentioned earlier, sometimes the ability now, I think that we've gained as we've gotten older is the ability to kind of sit back, you know, put all your hats on backwards, not take yourself so seriously and say, you know, where, are we, where, how is this really going to affect us in five years? If I let her go out with her friends tonight and stay out till 1030 instead of 10, you know, is she not going to get into the college of her dreams? I'm thinking about my kids, but, um, you know, and the same thing, whether, you know, when you take it to VSP is whether someone gets a $20 copay or a $21 copay in the end going to make a difference. And sometimes it does, right? That, that the, the annuity of that over time can make a difference. So, um, so the role that I have with VSP now is different than a lot of other industry roles that I've held. And I think most of us come from, you know, being KOLs, being on advisory boards, um, having, I, I love that industry has sought optimal to help direct where their business goes, right? What products do we need to have? I know that you're working on this with the academy on the whole staff training component, right? Like they actually listen to doctors and say, what do you want for staff training? Not, we think we're sitting back here and we know what you guys need, but really ask doctors. And so um, I think that's what KOLs do and that's what advisory boards do. This role with VSP is very different. So VSP, by its bylaws, states that its actual corporate directors, um, the majority of them have to be optometrists. So these are the, you know, we are the folks that effectively direct where the business goes. I mean, the, the, the organization has um, a responsibility to follow the, the direction of the board of directors. We are part of setting the strategy for the organization. We're a part of the key decision making. Operationally, they take care of everything, but um, the board of directors really guides the business. And that comes with a ton of responsibility. Um, but it is, but it's a responsibility of that hat being we have to make sure VSP as a business succeeds. But then this other hat that always happens underneath, what I call my little party hat, which is I'm still an optometrist over here and the decisions I make over here have to make my business sustainable. And I think about you and other people in the industry I know who have children who like aspire to be optometrists or want to be in the industry. I'm not just thinking about me, right? I, you and I can make decisions that will keep us comfortable for the next 10 years till we retire. I'm thinking about, you know, our kids and the, 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 the profession, truly the legacy of the profession down the road. So the day-to-day -day decisions we make on the board of directors, whether it's, you know, do we want to purchase an organization like VisionWorks to, to, to bring into the fold of VSP? Do we want to merge with another frame designer? Do we want to buy another software company? Um, all of those decisions play into 
where is optometry going to be in the future? And I love that you're there because I love knowing that a group of doctors like yourself are helping to guide that future. So I do feel like there are a lot of misunderstandings or misconceptions that doctors have about uh, VSP and even other vision plans. But since you're in a position that you can talk a little bit about uh, VSP specifically, what would you say, Marianne, is maybe one or two of the most misunderstood items or things, or what is a misconception that doctors have about vision plans or VSP specifically? Sure. Thank you for allowing me to answer that question. Um, I, you know, I'd say the biggest misconception, and I don't know where it necessarily comes from. Um, you know, obviously we have loudspeakers in the industry. We have people who are relatively quiet. We have people who are just kind of minding their own business, but the, the biggest one comes that you just, you can't make money with a vision plan, right? You can't have a sustainable business only serving clients that have vision plans. Um, you know, I think you and I could both be a testament to that. A, a huge portion of my population and my billing is medical, um, but I will, I will be the first to admit it is the vision plan that draws them in the door. You know, if, if I have someone with glaucoma who I've seen for 10 years, uh, like for instance, I'm not a, I'm not a provider for Davis. It's more of an East coast plan. It's not something that we've worked with. So if someone comes in, who's had glaucoma for 10 years, I've seen them for 10 years. I build their medical every year. I don't see them one year. I run into them at the grocery store and they say, well, I have Davis now. I said, I haven't, I haven't built your vision plan for 10 years. <laughs> and because you changed vision plans, you didn't come see me. And, you know, shame on me for not educating my patient that, you know, this is a medical service that's provided through your medical insurance. But it, it was an awakening that it is that vision plan ticket, right, that, that drives them to me. So um, so the question is, you know, do, do you have to divert? It's not like this bait and switch. I don't make money on them simply because they're medical and driven in by vision, but you can make money with a vision plan. Um, and I think there are, you know, great lecturers out there, great industry um, mentors that we have that lecture on it all the time, you know, and what's interesting is I, I look at someone like Jim Winnick. I don't know how well you know Jim, but Jim is, was a professor at UC Berkeley. He was previously on the director, board of directors at BSP, but BSP sponsors Jim to go out and say, here's how you can be more profitable with ESP. Right. And I love that, you know, and I know um, the, the Spears will do that. They'll get their, you know, they have their peers that are out there. Here's how to make more money with IMET. Um, it's out there. So I think that's a huge misconception. And then I think the second one, and these kind of go hand in hand, there's like two and three together. I would say that, you know, there's this perception that BSP, you know, could care less if private practice goes away um, and would be fine servicing everyone through a commercial avenue. And then kind of along with that is that, you know, BSP wants to take over medical care. Um, You see that with, you know, now we have, um, the essential medical eye care, which most people know as primary eye care before. And people are like, let's keep VSP out of that business. And it's really not what the intention of that was, you know? And I think there's, a, there, there's no doubt that there's a large network of providers in California. Um, and it's such a different body when we have to think about, you know, I have to sit in Colorado, like you do in Florida, we have access to all the medical plans. We can do anything we want medical. Our California peers don't have that. And so when patients come in and they want those medical services, optometrists either have to charge them cash 
or turn them away. And so VSP was looking for a way to keep those patients in optometric offices. And then I don't know how prevalent Kaiser is where you are, but it's growing in popularity here. Um, and so when my patients come in and have Kaiser, you know, private practice doctors are not on the Kaiser network. And so previously I would have to either turn them away or, you know, require cash payment. And so it's just this nice kind of bridge that allows us to keep some of those patients in there um, and keep them coming to our office, knowing we're that one-stop shop for all their eye care, where we can at least be the initial place that they present when they have a red eye. And if they, you know, if it's an iritis, it's going to require a month of follow-up, maybe we get them over to Kaiser, but it's, you know, VSP is not in the business of taking over medical care, interfering with medical care, or in any way, shape, or form is, um, you know, has the motivation to be the demise of private practice. <laughs> I love that you brought those up. So number one, yes, I definitely agree that we can be profitable with vision plans. And I love finding all the ways and your teams actually are really good at coming into the office and showing us on our practice report where we're missing out. So yes. I think that's a big tip, honestly, for anyone who's listening that is a provider is to have those business development folks come in and help you see where you're missing out so they can point you in the right direction. But our revenue per patient is pretty darn high with people on vision plans, specifically VSP. And back to the other point you made, I think that many times in the old days, <clears throat> old meaning 25 years ago, when I first started down this path, people would say, if we don't, um, if we don't like it, then we should talk or we should just not talk about it. And I think that, that, that there's something missing in that. You, you have to learn how to work with it because the last number I saw is that 96% of people in the United States have some sort of vision coverage. Is that number about what you are aware of too, Marianne? I'm not, it, my, my, my um, statistics are not quite that high. Um, but it's a lot. It's, it's yeah. the major, it's the, it's the, you know, exceeding majority. And, and, and as you and I know, the majority of those um, typically covered by either IMED or VSP, and then, you know, there's other small right. players, but, um, and, you know, I mean, when, for you as an employer um, and someone who has insurance, if you have Blue Cross Blue Shield, you're not going to go to someone who's not on their network right? You, you just probably won't. It's a ticket. It's a, it's a benefit that you pay for um, that you want to make sure you're maximizing value for. So I appreciate you bringing up the global business development managers, because that's been a strategy that VSP spearheaded several years ago. And I think you're going to continue to see tremendous advancements in that program. One of the things we heard from our ambassador network, which is kind of like our KOL and advisory network, we, we have doctors in each state that we reach out to about how VSP can do better. And people would say, you know, I hate when my Marshawn rep comes in and I ask them about unity and they don't know anything about it. You know, when I ask my unity rep about what's the partnership with caring and they don't know, right? Then when we had unity biosig, it was like, right. what's premier? They don't know. And it was this very disjointed, you have 12 people from VSP coming in and nobody knows what the right and left hand is doing. So they created that global business development manager to really tie all of that together, to yeah. streamline the number of people that come into your offices. But really, like you mentioned, April, to be a resource to you to say, here's how you do that. Um, and I think, you know, we're unique in the industry where our, you know, the doctors have a voice through the ambassador program and through the board of directors, but also that direct uh, relationship yeah. with the practitioners through that business development manager. So thanks for leaning on them because they love doing that work. They, if they can make you an extra two to five bucks per patient, um, yeah. you know, as we all know, that adds up real quick. 
Oh, absolutely. Well, yeah. that leads me to another question. And this one um, is a little deeper, but maybe not. So my next question is, and I want you to think of it as uh, wear both hats, your VSP hat and your um, Dr. Marianne Murphy hat. And that is, what do you see is the future for optometry? Uh, I guess let's go five years down the road. You mentioned the fact that, yes, my daughter wants to go into optometry school. Probably a lot of us out there have children that do. What should she be thinking about as the future? And then also take that to the direction of what does it look like and where can we make an impact, an impact that could be even, make it even better than what it could, would be otherwise? Yeah, I kind of wish you would have asked me this question yesterday because, you know, stuff comes up every day that like, oh my gosh, that completely pivots this. But um, to me, it's, it's part of what you and I have said with regular practice. You know, I try not to take myself too seriously. I try not to get so far down one path that I'm unable to pivot. And I think you, you and I have both also demonstrated that um, sometimes you have to make big decisions that really change things. <laughs> and change yes. what your trajectory might look like. And I, yes. I think about your role with Vision Source where you know, you're on this ladder going straight up and you're like, hmm, I'm gonna take a different ladder. I'm gonna take a different step and I'm gonna do things differently. And I think as optometrists, our, our, our best path going forward is to be willing to pivot um, and be agile really in this environment. So where we're going, my practice, your practice, the industry, um, you know, five years now to me is, is, is five months right? Because things yeah. in the industry are happening so fast that to me, to even think I could predict a year from now, um, I've, I've given up kind of fooling myself. But um, the simple answer is, I don't know. The, what I worry most about are the, you know, kind of the non-traditional disruptors. So I don't know if you saw in the news yesterday, but like Amazon purchased Med One, Medical One, right? So um, One Medical is a group of primary practice um, it's a provider network. They have locations all across the country where they can provide concierge service. They build locations where employers are, they have a subscription model. It is kind of the Amazon of healthcare um, and Amazon purchased one medical yesterday. So, you know, what would it take for them to drop eye care into those places? And is that an okay thing, right? I mean, do we want to create a place for our new graduates to practice in an environment where people are truly seeking care? Um, and it's probably the same conversation you have with yourself. Like, you know, am, am I a competitor for lens crafters? Am I a competitor for pearl vision? You know, at a high level, we're all competitors. I don't intend to provide exams ever on a Sunday afternoon. And if that's something that one of my patients wants, I'm probably not the provider for them. So realizing that we're in a place where, you know, you can't be all things to all people, but at the same time, creating and fostering a place where the people who want the types of services that you and I offer can continue to get them, I think is really important. But also being in a brain space where we say, there's room for all of us. There is room for all of us, right? And I think, um, you know, looking back when, when uh, BSP made the purchase of VisionWorks years ago, there was, you know, and when they partnered with Costco a decade ago, there was this whole, you know, arms up in the air, a private practice is going to go away, they're going to drive everyone to VisionWorks. Um, it hasn't been a blip in the business of private practice, right? But VSP knows they have a segment of members that want commercial opportunities. And so rather than have them go to the competitor, why not have a competitor in house? And just like for you, there's someone who wants Saturday hours, maybe they can get that at your office, maybe they have to go to a different partner. And so for me, what's happening is you and I just need to continue to do what we do really well, 
um, keep our focus on the patient. Um, some of that goes into incorporating holistic care, which we can talk about a little bit because I know that's important to you too. Um, but then from an industry perspective, really being willing to play together. You know, there's a place for IMED, there's a place for VSP, there's a place for the AOA, there's a place for the academy. It's not just this, you know, you don't have to choose teams. There's a place for Vision Source, there's a place for HEA and PECA. And um, I think the better that we all play together, um, we'll see tremendous and we can create tremendous success for optometry. That's what I see you as too, Marianne, is I see you as someone who is a connector. I feel like that's a strength you have. And that's something that I want for all of us to do better. I love that part of what you said. I don't look at the future as being negative. I'm excited about it. If I wasn't, I would never let my daughter go down this path. Right. And so I feel like, you know, the other lesson I've learned over time, not only is to relax and take it easy and slow down a little bit, but also to realize that when we do what we do best and we do it well, we give our patients a million reasons to continue to come back to us. And so I don't worry about the fact that there, there are going to be disruptors. And I love being able to be on the front, front lines of hearing about it and learning about it so we can help others to not be so concerned about it. But I think the lesson you're teaching us and, the, and what you're kind of saying is just do what you do well and do more of it and continue to help other people to do that too. And that's what I love about you having so many doctors in your practice as well. All right. Well, it's so, something I've learned, I think yeah. from you too, April, I'll just take one second to expand yes. on that is um, do what you do well, but also ask yourself, your practice, your business, yeah. A, what can I do better? You know, what do my patients need? And then within that, right, set your boundaries. If I, if all my patients right. tell me, that I want a Saturday exam, I have to sit and be real with myself and say, am I going to do Saturdays or not? Right. Um, and I think you and I have learned that, you know, our, how much time are we taking off for conferences? How much time are we devoting to continuing education? Yes. Where's the line? What's important? What's the priority? And, and being able to do that and, and, and listen to your peers. You know, I, I love having peers come in my office and they're like, why is your OCT over there? Like that's completely out of the way of how patient flow works. I'm like, well, that's how it's always been. We seem to be doing just fine with it, but to actually hear what people say about what we could be doing better. Right. Very good. Oh, this is so good. All right. So Marianne, I want to give you the last words. So what do you see as a challenge or an opportunity? I'll put it both ways because I think most challenges are also opportunities and in uh, optometry and maybe even take it to VSP and what is something that VSP recognizes that needs to be addressed and how are you addressing it today? Yeah, I'll, t I'll take that and say two things. And again, um, it's pretty simple to me because I think it applies to both uh, VSP, the industry, and then individually at my practice. And, and there are two things that I think are um, heavy on my heart right now. One is very simply just inflation right? And dealing with the increased costs, the employment pressures, the world pressures, um, what we're doing in our practice, what I think VSP is doing. And then secondarily is um, you know, just diversity and inclusion within our profession. So I'll start with inflation. And that is, you know, it's real. <laughs> we're feeling it. Our costs are going up every day. I'm sure you and David every day get a letter in the mail. This contact lens vendor is increasing costs. This contact lens vendor is increasing their fees for lenses, right? And and I feel like our hands are tied. I can't I can't tell my VSP patient when they come in, I know your copay says it's $10, but I really need to charge you 11 today because, you know, gloves are more expensive and we've got to all wear masks. Right. We don't have that flexibility. So how 
how are we managing that? You know, we can't, I could raise my fees on everything and it would affect some of my income, but not the majority of it because it is controlled by vision plans and frankly, even medical insurance. So figuring out ways to um, make that work. So those are real challenges. On a practice level, I would tell you, you know, for me with employees, it's retention bonuses and training bonuses versus hiring bonuses, trying to control costs by not having so much turnover. Um, little things like that, you know, just trying to keep people happy. At a VSP level, you know, it's, it's, it boils down to the root of, you know, at some point, can we pay providers more? It's, it, it's a pretty simple equation when you sit and think of it. If, you know, insurance A pays X and insurance B pays X minus $20, why would insurance A, like, why would someone who pays X raise the fees? You're right. not going to be able to be competitive in the market. And the question is, is it sustainable? If we go into this huge recession next year, and now you've increased reimbursement by $10, you cannot be competitive um, on the member side of the market. So VSP is looking for creative ways to help you know, partner with those doctors that want to partner with them. Like you mentioned with the global business development managers, if you're willing to work with more Unity, if you're willing to work with more Marshawn, we have other ways to show that we're kind of on the same team and we're going to look to support you. And you see that happening with the uh, Premier Platinum Partnerships. And they did that through COVID as well. So just try to be creative. And then the second part of that <clears throat> that I mentioned, I think that weighs on my heart is the diversity part. Diversity, I think, on a practice level is tough because the very nature of the type of employees that we have tend to be kind of younger women, right, who are looking for administrative roles, medical health roles, those types of things, opticianry, which has kind of that fashion sense to it. So how do you create diversity there, right? Is diversity there gender diversity? Is it ethnic diversity? If you live in an area that's all Latina, it's probably going to be difficult to find an African-American employee or a Caucasian employee, and you want to serve your population. Um, so I think on a practice level, that continues to be really difficult, but I look for diversity in terms of just walks of life, how they're educated, types of languages they speak, um, but just being aware of it. The bigger challenge, I think, is our profession, right? I mean, um, what can we do? Because there's a real, there's these healthcare deserts, right? People aren't practicing on the Indian reservations in New Mexico, but people are having trouble going to rural Nebraska. People are having trouble going to inner city New York. If we had people that came from those areas that we could grow in optometry to go back to those areas to serve those patients that have such a drastic need, um, I think we could do better as a profession. And so how do you get those people interested in optometry? And I know you have been a huge proponent of just mentorships and, you know, being always having an open ear when you have, whether it's an optometry student or a pre-optometry student who says, hey, can I just bend your ear for a second? Can I grab lunch with you? Can I, you know, whatever it is. Um, I think as a profession, if we can be more open to that and kind of more open arms with our patients to say, you know, would you consider serving in a role like this for, for our community? Um, anything that we can do to enhance that diversity enhances just the richness of our profession. Absolutely. I think that yeah. uh, at the FOA convention this, this summer, it came up and it was interesting because I told a whole group of doctors in my class, I really feel like I haven't done as much as I could in helping newer, younger uh, patients even. It used to be patients would come in and we would talk to mm -hmm. them about, oh, this is exciting. You should be an optometrist too. I'm not sure that I've been as open about that. And I think that that really was something that we did more in the past. So I yeah, think starting even in our with our patients and saying how awesome it is, and even our, our teams, our staff, 
there used to be a lot of doctor's offices where our staff would then go to optometry school. So I have definitely made a commitment to do a better job in really talking about how amazing it is. And, and it, it's not fair that I don't share it because I totally believe it. It's funny because I've looked for ways and I agree with you. I don't know if it's as we've gotten to a point in our career where, you know, we're so focused on what our kids are choosing for their careers, or we feel so settled into where we are that we don't sell our profession, or frankly, we're just unsure and timid ourselves. But I've, I've looked for ways in my practice where I can introduce it. And to me, the place that it feels most natural, and this, this is going to sound probably weird to you, but I've really incorporated a lot of just holistic health into my my spiel right at the end of the exam like how important sleep is how important what you put in your body is to your overall eye health how important your supplements are um and when i talk about sleep and i talk about stress i i will simply sit back and say it's one of the things i love about my profession it's why all of us work part-time it's because we have this flexibility because we create this mm. lifestyle and for me it just it's it's an opportunity to have both conversations right create wow. a life that allows you to do this and oh by the way optometry is one of those ways because i just couldn't figure out like how do I how do I do this without making it sound like a, a plug? Like I'm not looking for employees, frankly. If all my patients became optometrists, yeah. we could never sustain it. Um, but it it just felt like a good place to me, which is why, like, you know, you always have you have yeah. patients who say, like, you seem so happy, Dr. Jasper. And you say, gosh, this, you know, this profession is awesome. And I've I've made a commitment to get good sleep. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so it works for us. Yeah. I love that. And yes, you're right. I do believe in in the fact that we what we do and what we eat and who we are definitely affects all of our outcomes. So, wow, this has been so much fun and selfishly, Marianne, I wanted to do this just so I could spend more time with you. So thank you. So I really much. treasure our friendship. I think it's something that, you know, when we talk about mentors, seeking those people in the industry that, like you said, that we can just be genuine with and, and, you know, not always calling when you need a favor, just calling when you want to just say, Hey, how's David? How are the kids? How's Florida? You know, tell me about the iguana in your toilet. Um, I love that we can have those conversations. So, so thanks for creating an atmosphere that uh, um, makes everyone around you feel so welcome and included. And thank you for all you do for us in uh, all the places that you serve, including on uh, the VSP board. We appreciate you, Marianne. Thanks, April. Thank you to all our listeners. We appreciate you being here with us and listening. And I appreciate the time you spend uh, listening in the car, watching on YouTube, and definitely check out the courses that we have that kind of walk through some of what Marianne and I talked about today, how to profit with vision plans, and really how to create a culture in your practice that is uh, some, uh, makes a practice you want to be at. We appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Your eyes and your vision are under attack, damaging blue light from the sun. Your phone, your computer, your tablet, even light bulbs and car headlights is constantly bombarding you. The good news is our eyes actually already have a line of defense to counter the effects of blue light. This defense is made up of three pigments called carotenoids. MacuHealth with Micromycel, the only supplement with the exclusive patent on all three macular carotenoids and Micromycel technology. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Opt-In with Dr. April Jasper.